0: Yeah, big welcome to all of you. And uh, especially if you are coming back, maybe you joined us for the first time at Easter. Very, very glad you're here. It was such an amazing Easter weekend. You already heard. Uh, and uh, so many people came and, and experienced God here. And my favorite thing about Easter weekend: 163 people said yes to following Jesus. Just during Easter weekend, so it's amazing. And if you're one of those, uh, big congrats to you and so proud of you, excited for your spiritual journey. Very glad uh, that you're here today. And I wanna say thank you to all of you for inviting, praying, serving, giving, leading into Easter weekend. I wanna show some love to our Hokesson location today, record Easter attendance at Hokessin, Middletown, more people joined the launch team for Middletown coming this fall. So yeah, just across the board. An amazing, amazing Easter, and I'm so proud of, of all of you guys for everything that you do, just to set the stage for people's lives to be changed here. It's very cool what God is doing in the life of our church, and as you heard, we're just getting started because next weekend is Baptism Weekend. You're not going to want to miss that. It's always a very momentous weekend. I'm looking forward uh, to it. And Last week, we started a series called good grief. And we're asking this question, whatever our story, whatever our age, whatever our background, whatever our beliefs about God, uh, wherever we land with any of that, how do we find the good in the stuff in life, the circumstances, the situations we go through, the seasons we experience, the losses uh, we experience that don't feel very good at all? How do we find hope in the midst of the hurt? That's the big question. And I think it's a question that a lot of us wrestle with again, whether we're students or young adults, midlife, older, wherever we are in our stage of life, we just, and especially it seems like over the past few years, we've just gone through some things. And so I'm, I'm really believing that this series is going to be a powerful uh, healing time and, and also give those of us who maybe are dealing with some grief some direction during this season. So to, so to kick off today, quick poll: by a show of hands, if you're in one of our physical rooms, uh, and if you're online, you can participate in this. Just uh, just give us a thumbs up um, in the in the chat if this is true of you. But how many of us you like your name? You like the name you were given at birth? It's okay to humble brag. Just you're like, my name rocks. It just it's the best name ever. Just my name is better than your name. You know. Just all right. Okay. So how many of us? Uh, at some point in our life so far have maybe wished we could change our name. Just be honest, it's okay. Well, I'm not going to ask you to go into any detail, but it's okay, it's okay. A few of us raising our hands are like, I wish, you know, if your mom's with you, it's a little awkward, but you're like, I just really wish he hadn't named me that, okay? So my wife Susie and I have two kids, and I I shared a little bit uh, about our son's story last weekend. Uh, But we have a daughter as well. And before our daughter was born, I wanted to name her Cala, C A L L A. Uh, It's a very rare name, but I love the name. It means beauty. And uh, the year she was born, our daughter, only 22 babies in the United States were registered with that name. So I liked it because it was rare. I was like, I want to give her this rare name. Uh, But I didn't get my way, I was outvoted by the person actually carrying that human in their womb. You know, that's kind of how that works. It's like, she got a million votes, I got one, which I totally get, I totally understand. So I was outvoted, and we ended up naming our daughter Madeline. And it fits. She's a Maddie. It just fits. Like, you just, you meet her, you go, oh yeah, she's, she's a Maddie, it fits. And by the way, she's, she's daddy's girl. Um, and in this kind of interesting season of life where she's an adult. <laughs> which means, you know life is cheaper, (laughs) like, oh, you want those? Uh, Interesting, how will you pay for that? Um, So you know, it's kinda all that season, and sorry, Madeline, but um, it's all that season in our lives, but uh, she's a Maddie. So I wanna tell you a story today about names. And it's a story about grief, but it ends up being about so much more. So you have to kinda lean in and pay close attention, especially these first few minutes to track with it. It's about a woman who was given a name when she was born, but she tried to change her name later in life. And the reason, the backstory, I heard this story years ago, and it just kind of stuck with me. Uh, But the backstory is that she grew up in one place, spent her whole life in one place, but then she got married pretty young, and uh, with her husband, moved to another country that she'd never been to before. So in this unfamiliar place, after getting married, she, she moved there and her and her husband, just like my wife and I, had two kids. But a short time later, her husband died unexpectedly. So she felt very alone uh, in this you know, country, again, that she hadn't grown up in, wasn't very familiar with, but she stayed there and she raised both of her kids, two boys, raised them until they became adults and they got married. But then from out of nowhere... Both of her sons died as well. And so she was in this situation where she was truly alone in this foreign country. Uh, She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She really didn't have anyone in her life except for the two women that her sons had married, her, her daughter in laws. So she was kind of a wreck at this point, and she made the decision to move back to where she grew up, looking, I'm sure, for some kind of familiarity and certainty in the midst of all of this grief and trauma and her world turned upside down and at first her daughter-in-laws wanted to come with her they said well we'll come with you you know we've had a lot of loss as well we want to go where you go and And she told them, no, I don't have anything left to offer you. You've got lives to live. I'm kind of, you know, I'm older and I'm just honestly heartbroken. I can't give you the emotional support you need. So one of her daughter-in-laws said, okay, well, I'm going to stay back then. I love you, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to rebuild my life. And the other one said, no, I'm coming with you. And so these two women together moved back to the country that uh, this woman who'd lost her husband and her two sons had grown up in. And she was grieving. She had been through so much. In fact, she had kind of an unusual name that reflected what she had experienced, Mara. So the name Mara, uh, at least that was the name she tried to give herself. That was the name she tried to rename herself. And Mara means bitter. So when she submitted the proposal for her name change, she left a comment. She kind of explained it this way. She said, I don't want to be called by my old name anymore. I've been through so much, it has changed me. Call me Mara, for God has made life very bitter for me. So she was in this season where she'd just been through so much, and she she was angry at God, she was disappointed by her circumstances, and she thought that one thing that would help her get over it would be to change her name. And I get it. Again, she had buried her husband in a foreign land. She had buried both of her sons. No wonder Naomi felt the way she did. (laughs) See, Naomi was her name she was given at birth. And Naomi actually means pleasant. But this woman didn't feel very pleasant anymore. She felt bitter. So she tried to change her name to Mara, which means bitter. But God wasn't finished with her life. More on that in a few minutes. So when Susie and I first started this church, uh, we had no budget. It was just us, and we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, no money, no team, no plan. That was our approach to church planting. And for the first few years, I got to tell you, it was so hard. We had, we had left what we knew behind to do this. It did not always feel like it was working. Honestly, the first few years, most days, I wasn't even sure the church was going to survive and uh, we were 31. So we were young enough uh, to be inexperienced, but we were old enough that it kind of felt like, you know, we should be more experienced. We should know more of what we were doing. we were in that weird in-between stage in life. And it was actually our second attempt to start a church. So the first time we, we really didn't know what we were doing. And the second time we really didn't know what we were doing. So <laughs> not much had changed. And in uh, the first few years, of our church, and there are just a few people in our church who who were around in those first few years. And by the way, I have just a special love for you. <laughs> Thank you for staying. You know, like um, because it was hard, and there was a lot of pain along the way. Uh, I talked a little bit about some of that pain last weekend. The year we started the church, our our son was diagnosed with autism, uh, and it was a very very difficult time. I had never worked for a church before, so everything was new to me. And, uh, first few years, church was, it grew very slowly. And then when it started to grow, it was almost worse because the, the church I had attended before that, uh, when I was, when I was a teenager, I attended a church that had 120 people in that church. And when I met Susie, my wife, the church she went to had about 200 people. I was like, Oh, mega church. That was my context. So when the church first started to grow, it was like all this momentum, which seemed great. But behind the scenes, I was like, God, I I have no context for this. And um, some people loved our church. And some people loved sending me emails telling me what they thought about our church. So I noticed that the people who loved our church told me that in person. And the people who didn't love our church told me that via email. (laughs) It's kind of how that worked. It just... You know, so come in on a Monday and be like, okay, God, we can do this. Oh, all right. So you think and (laughs) reading the email going, okay, God, I think I'll go into finance. All right. So (laughs) that was the story. So Now we see, you know, there's a lot of growth. And by the way, we're just scratching the surface. Our church is not big by any stretch of the imagination. There are 1.8 million people within a 30 mile radius of our Newark location. So we're just scratching the surface. But we've God's blessed us and we've got this growth and this momentum, but it was not always like that. Our church is a 16-year overnight success, everybody. (laughs) So it was like a it was hard. It was hard. And can I tell you, and in the midst of all that, by the way, really one of the biggest issues was me. So I struggled with anxiety and uh, insecurity and perfectionism and workaholic tendencies and was always trying to prove something. For most of you, you may have no context of like starting a church, but I bet you know what it's like to feel like you've got something you've got to prove. You just don't feel good enough. You never feel like you're qualified or adequate. And there were times along the way when I wanted to change my name, not literally, but spiritually speaking. Don't call me blessed. Call me broke call me bitter, call me betrayed. Don't call me inspired, call me inadequate, call me insecure, call me insufficient. I showed up to this full of passion, wanting to change the world. And again, you may not be able to relate it at all to starting a church, but you probably had that in your life. You, you, I started dating the person. This is the one. They complete me. It's going to be perfect. Started this job like this is the dream job. You just haven't met the senior VP of marketing yet. You know, you like this is it. This is going to be it. You bought the house. You're like, I finally I own my own home. What could go wrong? You had kids and you're like, we have kids now. We're people with kids. Life is is just so fulfilling. <laughs> So, I showed up to this full of passion, wanting to change the world, but a lot of days I just felt empty and anxious, if I'm honest, more days than not. And I was like, God, is this ever gonna work? And here's what I learned, and here's what I continue to learn I have permission to feel anxious sometimes. I have permission from God to feel insecure sometimes. I have permission from God to grieve my unmet expectations. And I had a lot of them in the beginning. I had so many moments with God where it's like, hey, God, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm starting a church for you. (laughs) You could show a little gratitude, God, like in attendance this Sunday. You You could show a little gratitude. Is this okay? Are you okay if I just get this real? I'm just telling you. It's like, God, I'm doing. And here's what I learned I have permission to feel all those things, I just don't have permission to be bitter. I don't have permission to be bitter. Now that's my story, so what's yours? Have you had a dream, a hope, a picture for your life and then it felt like the rug got ripped out from under you? You thought one thing, one picture of your life was what was gonna happen and then you went through a loss. You, somebody left, somebody passed. You got the, the layoff notice or that hard conversation and you just grieved. Naomi felt that way. And her story's in the Bible. She's a person who thought what she had gone through meant that her life was essentially over. So she tried to change her name. You find this in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament of the Bible. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. So don't call me pleasant, that's what Naomi means. Call me bitter, that's what Mara means. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant anymore when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? And I wonder, wherever we land with spiritual things, wherever we are in our journey today, how many of us have felt that way? Like I just said, I've been through so much. I'm a different person now. It's shaped me. I'll never really recover everything that I've lost. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. But you know what's fascinating? That is actually the only time the name Mara appears in the Bible. Think about that. All Naomi asked. She did not ask for a lot. She did not ask for $2 million. She did not ask that she would be able to travel back in time and do it over. She did not ask for any of those things. She just asked for one thing. She just wanted permission to change her name, her identity, and associate it more closely with her grief. She just wanted permission to spend the rest of her life grieving what she had lost, released from any obligation to keep her hopes up, to believe for better days, to anticipate that God wasn't finished, All she asked was that people, at least when they said her name, would have to acknowledge everything she had been through. She just wanted, whenever anyone had an interaction with her, for it to be clear. Hey, don't expect too much of me. I've suffered a lot. But no one ever calls her Mara after this. Why? Because she has permission to grieve. She just doesn't have permission to be bitter. You know some of my hardest moments with God? Some of my hardest moments with God are when he refuses to validate my victimhood. Even when it feels very valid, and I've had, I'm like, God, okay, God, you have been dismissive towards some of my earlier suffering, but this thing. I really am the victim here, God. And I really just, I need to just, I need to stay in this In this place, kind of indefinitely, Lord. Now, if you're new to church, uh, and if you're not sure what you believe about the Bible yet, uh, you you may not buy this next part. And that's okay, I'm not here to twist your arm, okay? Followers of Jesus believe that the Bible is not an ordinary book. So followers of Jesus believe that God is actually the author of the Bible. Now, we believe human beings wrote it but they wrote it as they were inspired supernaturally by God. That the scriptures, the Bible, it's not, just a, it's not just a history book, it's not just a book full of wise sayings, it's actually inspired by God, all of it. Which means we believe the Bible is useful to teach us what is true and not true, what is right and wrong. Okay, that's what followers of Jesus believe about the Bible. Which makes the next line in the Bible very interesting. Remember, if God is the author... So Naomi returned from Moab. Hold on. Naomi has just finished saying, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And the Bible reads, anyway, after that little outburst, Naomi returned. From Moab, it's as if Naomi says, I've been through so much, I'm in so much pain, I'll never recover, call me Mara, and God says, no. You can't give in to your resentment. That's not who you are. It's what happened to you, but it's not who you are. You are pleasant, life-giving, full of hope. Now, what does this mean? It means that no matter what we've been through, and for some of us, it's a lie, and maybe you're in the middle of it right now, But no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've lost, no matter how hard things are for us, no matter how much it hurts, how betrayed we feel, how alone we feel, how discouraged we feel, we have God's permission to grieve. We can bring our pain to God. We don't have to sugarcoat it. We don't have to pretend we don't feel it. We can pour it out to God. We have God's permission to grieve. We just don't have God's permission to be bitter. Now, I know uh, that word permission might even mess with some of us. Some of us are going, hold on, who is God to tell me I can't be bitter? If I want to be bitter, I will be bitter. You never met bitter. (laughs) I will be so negative, you can't even imagine how negative. Who is God to tell me? And you know what? You're right. Chances are good. God is not going to force us to be hopeful. He's not going to come down and be like, no, you're going to be, you're going to be life giving. He's not going to do that. He just refuses to accept our name change request. He just won't let us tie our identity to anything other than who he says we are. He's really insistent about it. You say, well, why? Why is God so insistent about that? Because he doesn't see our stories the same way we do. We see our lives as the sum of everything that's happened to us or around us up until now. And we can't see anything else. That's our limited perspective. God sees our lives as the sum of everything he has planned for us from beginning to end. So for God, our grief isn't the end. It can't be. It's part of the path toward what is good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. All things. Now, please understand that doesn't mean all things are good. Not all things are good. But all things, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them, work together for good. So in the moments like, that is not good. But later in the storyline, you go, wow, what a good God. He took something that wasn't good and used it for my good. Only God can do that. And that's why he won't let us change our name. He won't let us detach from our story. So maybe you're in a season where you're going, call me Mara. I'm about to graduate in a few weeks and I have no idea what to do next and I'm so anxious and so depressed. And call me Mara, the divorce was too much to get past. Call me Mara, my grandfather was all I had and now he's gone. Call me Mara, the miscarriage changed me. Call me Mara, my kid won't talk to me or my parents won't talk to each other or my girlfriend walked out. Call me Mara because all I can see of my story is what hasn't happened the way I hoped. And I get it. I have been there. Those things are hard. Those things are real. We don't get past them quickly or easily. But God, lovingly, compassionately, but firmly, says, I hear your grief. I'm compassionate towards your pain. But I do not approve of your name change. God says, I'm still holding on to hope that you will not allow the trauma you have been through to be the identity you yes. claim. Yes. I have more for you. I have good in store for you. I will not rename you bitter. I will not rename you empty or joyless or burned out. In fact, God says, sorry, not sorry. I call you pleasant, but I'm not pleasant right now. I know, but that's what I see. Because I see beginning to end. Some of you... In one of our rooms right now, online right now, some of you need to know that God is not looking at your emotional reaction to your circumstances and changing your identity based on it. He still loves you. He has something on the other side of this for you. He is not finished with your life. All things work together for your good. And he won't rename you. He says, I still call you pleasant, still call you full, still call you hopeful. I still call you just getting started. When you think you're at the end, I call you just getting started. And you can search the Bible from cover to cover and never find the name Mara again because from God's perspective, that person simply doesn't exist. There isn't a bitter person in God's story. Mara was spoken in a moment of pain, but it did not define the person who said it. It's okay to bring our Mara moments to God. It's okay to bring our bitter moments to God. He can handle our grief. Again, we don't have to sugarcoat it. We don't have to. We don't have to act like we have it all together. He knows, by the way. So it's okay to bring it all to God. But the point of bringing it to God is not that we would stay there forever. It's that we would allow God to heal our hearts. And we would discover there's hope on the other side of our hurt. And here's why it's so important. Because the story, our story, is not just about us. So zoom out. Naomi's story was not just about Naomi. In fact, is anybody a little bit confused or weirded out that I just told you a story about a woman named Naomi who tried to change her name to Mara and whose story is found in the book of Ruth? Says so the story's not just about Naomi. The story is actually about Naomi's daughter in law, Ruth who makes a decision to stay connected to Naomi in the midst of both of their pain and grief. And because of that, and her relationship with Naomi, and because Naomi does not become identified with her grief and keeps living her life and finds purpose again, Ruth meets a man named Boaz. And Ruth and Boaz get married, and it's a super cool story how they met. You've never heard of it before. I promise. It's the strangest way to meet. (laughs) Go read the Bible. It's fascinating. But Ruth and Boaz, they connect, they get married, and then they have kids, and one of their kids has kids. And one of Ruth and Boaz's grandsons, his name is David. He becomes a king. One of his descendants is a man named Jesus. He's the reason we're all in the room today. That's why you can't give up on your life. That's why you can't throw in the towel because your story isn't just about you and God is doing something through you that could impact generations. You just don't know. You just don't know. You just don't know. And that's why you just don't have permission to be bitter because you don't know what God has for you next. Last weekend, we shared part of the story of an amazing woman in our church who has been through a lot, a lot of pain like Naomi. And this weekend, I wanna share the rest of her story. Take a look.
1: My name's Louise Cummings, and I've been coming to the journey for a year and a half now. So I would say over the span of 10 years, (laughs) I've lived through many major uh, life circumstances, marriage, divorce, death, you know, you're moving, you're changing a job and I pretty much hit most of them in one decade, um, unfortunately. My daughter's um, father, he died um, July of 2011. We buried him on August 1st, and August 5th of that year, I found out I was pregnant. So it was just a lot going on, and you know, how are you gonna manage all of that? About a year later, I met a man named Stephen Ballard, um, who became my husband in 2015. I love Stephen, and we had a great relationship, but he was the only dad that my daughter knew in the physical sense. So November 15, 2015, we got married. Um, my daughter really loved him. I loved him as a great part of our family. In 2017, um, he was killed in the line of duty. He was a Delaware state trooper and he was killed at the Wawa and Bear on Route 40. So I think pretty much everybody in Delaware, you know, knows and remembers that day. So 2011, Butch died. 2012, I had Abigail. 2013, I met Stephen. 2014, he proposed. 2015, we got married. 2016, we moved into our house. In 2017, he was killed in the line of duty. What does that look like when somebody sees you and they're like, oh, you know, I wish I had faith like you, or I wish I was as strong as you are, but it doesn't make it easy. Having tremendous faith does not mean Oh, that's great you have such faith in God and God's going to take care of everything it's no you have tremendous faith because life is hard and you know that you're going to go through pain Jesus went through pain but having tremendous faith just means that he's with you through all of it so but it's still really hard (laughs) I find a lot of people when things get compounded then they get angry at God I've often been asked like am I angry at the person that killed my husband Um, I've actually met his mother. and, And for me that day, while I lost my husband, she also lost her son. He did a very bad thing, but he was killed as well that day and she didn't ask for that. You know, for me, it's just like a lot of prayer and a lot of asking God why, not because I'm angry or to question him, but to understand like what's next. It's for a reason. So show me what you have for me to do, you know, to come out of this. And that's what I would often explain to my daughter. We go through things, not that God has intended for us to endure harm and pain forever, but because he's preparing us for something else. If we were never prepared, if we didn't have hardships, how would you then be empathetic to other people? Seeing Jesus really sitting like going to the cross. And it wasn't until he went through that pain and he died on the cross that our sins were forgiven. So if you don't lean into the pain, you can't move forward. I don't feel like anyone ever completely heals. Talking to other people is really helpful, even if it's just one or two people, because it makes you feel like you're not alone. With grief being like a puzzle, (laughs) um, it is, there's so many pieces and it's almost like trying to get, you know, a square peg in a circle, like just something that doesn't fit. And you're like, I need this puzzle to come together. And once it does, it's perfect. Faith is the key, you know, to making sure that it will all come back together. When you experience trauma and grief and loss, there are pieces that get removed and get moved around. So it's not the same picture. It's the same life that you have, just in a different way. A lot of times when you have compounded grief, you know, and loss like I do, it's like, why? Why, 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 why? Why does this keep happening to me? Sometimes the why is really not important. The why of what's next, you know, is most important. No that God has made you uniquely to be who you are. He has a purpose for your life. So be happy for other people. Rejoice with them and their happiness and comfort them in their sadness, but understand that God isn't doing anything to you. He's really using things to prepare you for what he has next, which is something that we can't even imagine.
0: Isn't that amazing? So proud of Louise. So when we're dealing with unmet expectations and grief and loss, how do we find the strength to move forward like Louise? I wanna share as we get ready to wrap up four very simple steps, how to move forward in the midst of our hurt. And the first one is accept yesterday's no so you can experience tomorrow's yes. Maybe for some of us today, maybe for you, there's a place of making peace with something you've experienced or something that you're even going through right now that you can't control. And you can't, you couldn't change it if you tried. Just some circumstances beyond your control, Accept that life has handed you a no so that you can move forward into the yes that God has for you. And one of the ways you can do that is just continue to be a part of this. Come back next weekend. Lean in during this series keep seeing what God wants to do in your life and recognize that even though you've been through a no, that God still has some yeses in store. Here's the second one. Go public with your faith. So next weekend, as you heard, we're celebrating baptism together. And if you're new to what that is, baptism is simply a public step of acknowledging what God has done inside of us and who Jesus is to us now. It's saying, I'm with Jesus. I've been forgiven of my past. I'm stepping toward the future that God has for me. It's a powerful celebration. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, I encourage you to do that if God's been drawing you to him. But if you have, whether that happens today or it happened a few weeks ago or months ago or years ago, and you haven't gone public with your faith in baptism after you made a decision to follow Jesus, next weekend is for you. That's your next step. Sign up and be baptized. It's it's an amazing celebration. And then for all of us who have taken that step, come be a part of next weekend because it will remind you baptism is where we leave bitterness behind. Think about that. It's a burial. It's a washing. It's a cleansing. Our old life is covered and made new with Christ. He did the work in our hearts. We go public with our faith to agree with the work that Jesus has done. And I want to encourage you, either take that step if you haven't yet, or come ready to celebrate with those who are next weekend. Leave the bitterness behind at baptism. Here's a third thing, get in community with real people. So a big part of Naomi's story, when her grief seemed overwhelming, was her relationship with Ruth, that connection. Naomi stayed with Ruth, Ruth stayed with Naomi, and because of that, there was strength in their lives because they had each other. They had God, but they had each other that God could work through. And when we're struggling, when we're dealing with unmet expectations or feeling anxious or we're grieving, one of our big temptations, and by the way, if you believe there's an enemy of your faith, one of the big things he tries to convince you of, which I believe there is, by the way, uh, some stuff in my life doesn't make sense unless something's working against me. And one of the big things he tries to convince us to do when we're grieving is to push people away, hold people at arm's length. It feels too hard to get in community, but I'm telling you, that's the opposite of what we need. What we need is some people around us going the same direction we can do life with, we can make a difference with. And by the way, community is not just for the Naomi's and Ruth's of the world. It's for the Nick's and Rob's. So men, I'm talking to you. You're not proven anything when you hold people at arm's length except that you are stuck. The way you move forward is actually get in community, get connected with other people. And so I wanna encourage you to do that. For all of you uh, who are leading a J group this spring, thank you for making that space for people to connect. We'll start another semester of groups in a few weeks. But in the meantime, if you haven't yet, come to Plugged In, We'll help you find connection in this community of faith and purpose, a team you can serve on, make a difference, use your gifts, get in community with real people. And then here's the last one. Let God keep writing your story. Just don't give up on God. Don't give up on God and don't give up on yourself. 15 verses in the Bible describe all of Naomi's pain. The rest of the Bible flows out of how she didn't let it finish her off. Let God keep writing your story. Don't quit now finish your senior year strong graduate pursue the career you feel called to grow in your faith this year build those friendships marry that girl who's the right one keep raising that kid as a single parent get baptized next weekend say yes to that leadership role God isn't finished with your life just like Louise let him keep writing your story let him keep working in your life he has a what's next for you my daughter's name is Maddie and it fits she's keeping it that's her name you have a father in heaven and he may not have been the one who chose your earthly name but he has named you and you may have tried to rename yourself and re-identify yourself in moments of confusion or pain but your God knows better And he's named you. He has called you pleasant. Your name means I didn't lose my joy. Your name means I didn't give up on God. And I didn't give up on the life he had given me. You don't have permission to be bitter. But you do have permission to get better. And God has a what's next for you. And if you would say, week two of the series, and I received that in my life, I believe God has more for me in spite of what I've been through. I believe my life can be joyful and hopeful. Again, I'm gonna trust in God. Would you just shoot your hand up, hold it up high all over the room. It's a bold declaration of faith. And said, hold that hand up high. Online, stretch that hand out right where you are. And let me pray it over us. Jesus, we love you and honor you. You have been good to us, even when the things we've been through have not felt good at all. You are the hope in the midst of our hurt, and we cling to you today. We run to you today. We trust in you today. We recognize, God, that we do not have your permission to be bitter, but we do have your permission to get better. Strengthen and heal us and give us eyes to see what you see, we pray in Jesus' name while you let God speak to your heart for a moment more, listen, if you don't have a real relationship with God yet, and you want to begin one today, you can. Today can be your day. You need to know that Jesus is familiar with your pain. There's a a verse in the Bible that says he has been tempted with everything that we've been tempted by. He faced your pain. He faced death head on for you on the cross. And he overcame it. And he died to forgive your sins and to give you the power to live a new life. And if you want that today, I'm gonna lead us in prayer again and this is your opportunity. This is your moment to say yes to following Jesus. I want everyone to join me again. All of our locations, just open your heart up big to God. And if that's you, you wanna begin following Jesus right where you are. Whisper out a prayer of faith, something like this. Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I believe that You died to forgive my sins and that you rose again. I need you to heal my life. So I turn it all over to you. I believe in you. Give me the power to live for you. And if that's you, while everyone around you stays focused on God, if you would say, count me in. I'm praying that prayer today. I'm taking that step, putting my faith in Jesus. Would you lift your hand so I can see it? Just hold it up. Yeah, it's amazing. And Hocassin, hold that hand up high here. And Newark, hold it up high, yes. Yeah, it's incredible. Thank God. Online, you can type the word faith in the comments, whatever platform you're on. Let us know you took that step. Make sure you share that on a Connect card before you leave today. But for right now, Journey, would you help me? Come on, let's give Jesus all the praise. Can we do that together?